If you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 7, Exodus chapter 7, and um, as you're making your way there, we are, we are again continuing this series through Exodus, and there are some times in this series where we, we take just a few verses at a time, uh, and then there are other times, like today, where we cover a pretty big span. Uh, we're actually going to be in chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10 today uh, because we're going to be in uh, the, the story of the plagues. And by story, don't get that wrong. Don't think that this isn't true or didn't actually happen. But, but yeah, so uh, as we have been comparing Exodus to kind of the, again, it's the birth of a nation, so the the, the birth process, these labor pains are intensifying as we get closer and closer to the Israelites' delivery. Uh, in, in the plagues found in chapter 7 through 10, uh, we'll see that, like a repetitive language. Uh, the, the repetition, and we'll talk about this again in, in a minute, but uh, the, the repetition that we see in these plagues is because the original hearers, I want you to think about this when you think about studying God's word. The original hearers of this did not uh, have it written down like we do, right? So, so they didn't have copies for them to take home and, and stack up on their shelves um, of different, different versions, different translations, uh, all of those kind of things. So it really was relying on the oral uh, expression of it. Uh, hearing those stories were so some of what we'll hear as repeated is so that the people will remember. You see, Moses wanted the people to remember. So even the way he wrote these few chapters was a way of helping people uh, remember what was said. So yeah, we will cover nine of the plagues today, and we'll save the tenth plague for next week. Um, and, and that's, it's not a secret, that one is Passover. And so we're going we're gonna to hone in on just understanding a little bit more about that, that final plague of, and, and what a gift it was, uh, like just the picture it is. Um, as, as you might know about me, I, uh, I'm not going to lie, I have been eager to preach this sermon in particular since the beginning of January. And if you know me at all, that means uh, I've been real eager, right? So I've been very excited. There's a part to this that I had never uh, been made aware of before. So in my study, uh, I, I learned some things that I had, I'd, again, I'd never heard or seen before. And I, if, that, if it's the case for you, I hope that it is as encouraging to you, uh, as, as sweet a reminder for you as it was for me now a few months ago. And... Uh, just, just remember how we have been learning that when God said, it, it also was so, right? What God said, God does. We will see that again and again today. Interestingly, this, this, is, part of what, uh, this is part of what I learned, didn't realize, but uh, the plagues are a display of what is described as an inverse of the creation account, right? So it's it's the opposite of creation. If if creation goes from chaos to order, then in Exodus we go from order to chaos. 
It's, in fact, it's by, some would describe it as the de-creation account. We don't necessarily want to go so far in that, right? Like, certainly, everything's still alive. Uh, it's not a wiping out in that sense. But ultimately, the plagues are, are a reminder. Maybe, maybe the goal of the plagues is that Egypt will know that Yahweh is God. You need to hear that. Because this is this has become this is really important. We talked about it some last week, but well, we're going to go through this this time where you, maybe you've even heard of the plagues before, and maybe you just thought, hey, it was a we're just trying to get the Pharaoh to let him go, but ultimately it's a it's trying to get the whole people of Egypt to know that there is one God, and it's Yahweh. So just a moment ago, I mentioned that there are these repetitious words, right? Things that are phrases that are used over and over. So think about it this way. Uh, a few of them stick out. If you, if you just read through um, these few chapters, you'll, you could do the same thing. But, but the phrase, the Lord said, is in plague number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. The phrase, let my people go, is in one, two, four, five, seven, and eight. The word know, like you will know, is in 1, 2, 4, 7, and 8. And the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, or Pharaoh hardened heart, that, that phrase is in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. So it's in all nine of them as well. This is repetitious, again, so that the people would remember. That sounds like things, just, just as a, a note, if you're studying God's word and you get to words or phrases that are on repeat, that means it's something you should pay attention to. We should pay attention to all of Scripture, certainly, but it means that it's intentionally being highlighted for us. We joke around sometimes with, with Jerry Welch. Uh, when he reads a book, he loves to highlight. Sometimes uh, he highlights like the entire page. And so it's like, well, I guess that's good, um, right? But, but in, in repetition in Scripture, it's that way. It's like Scripture is highlighting for us what we need to be paying attention to. Does that make sense? So, so when you see these things over and over and over, when you see the Lord said, when you see no, you will know, when you see let my people go, when you see the Pharaoh's hardened heart, those things should draw our attention because they're on repeat. It's like, it's like God himself highlighted it, underlined it, starred it, put a flag by it, big cheese deal, made something about it so that we could understand, like pay attention to this. Now, I have, I have mentioned in other sermons that Pharaoh was considered the personification of the sun god, Ra, right? I need you to hold on to that fact because what we're going to see in these, as we walk through these plagues, is that each plague is a deconstruction of the idols of Egypt. So over and over and over, so they have... The, the Egyptians at the time, generally speaking, would have had like hundreds of false gods that they worshipped. Very similar to how we would think of those in the, uh, of the Hindu faith that would have idol after idol after idol after idol. For every kind of circumstance and situation, they would build, create, manufacture a god. And the reason I want you to see this also the reason I think that it's here for us to see some thousands of years later is a false god 
is anything that you rely on for your hope. Right? And so in their case, they had named their false gods. They had built statues for their false gods. Sometimes even making sacrifices to their false gods. And I I just would present to us that although we might not have actually made little carvings and we might not have uh, actually made physical sacrifices of animals to false gods, I would argue that many of us rely on something and someone other than God for our hope. Far too often, if this is the case, whether it's your spouse or your children or your parents or your job or your bank account or your retirement account, we, we do that. We rely on something or someone else for our hope. And so may today be a, a reminder, as we just sang, that there is no other God. There is no other God. That's why we cry holy to the one who is set apart in his perfection. So, let's jump right in as we see the deconstruction of false gods. Plague number one is water turned to blood. Right? Verse 14 of chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. And take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptian will will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, their ponds, their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And they shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone. Now, What you need to remember is that the Nile was considered the source of life, right? This this was the the false god whose bloodstream supposedly ran through the Nile. The source of life came there. But I want you to also notice very particularly the location. This is pretty precisely the place that should have been Moses' death, right? This is where Pharaoh's daughter found and found pity on Moses, right? And, and ends up rescuing him when he comes through. Where is he? Where is he? He's right there by Pharaoh's house, by Pharaoh's palace, Just chapters before, we saw that this is where he's rescued. The place that should have been a place of death. Now, in that very same place, Moses stands and says, Thus says the Lord. The Nile has not been a river of life, though, right? The 
Pharaoh had used it, wielded it as an instrument of death. But church, we know the river of life, don't we? It's not the Nile River. It's not the Mississippi River. It's certainly not the Pearl River. Right? We know the river of life. The one whose well never runs dry. We're, we're introduced to something here, even in this moment, that points us to the one who is, gives us life. Life that means that we'll never need to thirst again. Gives us the fruit of life that we get in Jesus Christ. Even in this one plague, like even in these few verses, we, we have something that's pointing to someone greater. See, God demonstrates his authority over the Nile and the false god of the Nile. Plague number one was the river into blood. Plague number two is frogs. Oh. Frogs seem to be fine, right, initially. But hear, hear how this is described. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into, this is chapter 8, I'm sorry, verse 1. Go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and on your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. That, that part get, gets real kind of gross. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with the staff over the rivers, over the canals, over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come out of the land of Egypt. Okay, I need y'all to catch verse 7. The magicians here are not very smart. Hey, there are frogs everywhere. And to prove that you are not, like you're not real, we will just simply add frogs to the chaos. Does anybody else see the absolute absurdity to this? Like the magicians, they're, they're not making any sense. They're so blinded by their own attempts that they're just adding fuel to the flame. Sadly, I think we treat sin the same way. You know, we, we do this where we excuse our sin or, or we're, just, we're just blinded by our sin. You know, we, won't, we will say things like, well, we won't be with someone other than our spouse, but we will attempt to find such satisfaction in something that we watch online. You might, you might be so curious to, to ask the question of, of uh, well, how did all these frogs get there? The text is not concerned with how, is it? We're asking a question that's not even there. Maybe it's more important to simply see who brought them and why he brought them. I mentioned that each of these is to kind of um, disprove the false god. And 
And frogs were a specific reference to the to one called Hecate, who's the goddess of fertility. There was even a law at the time against killing a frog because of these, they were considered a sacred being. Can you imagine that there are, are, are heaps of frogs? And, and what that would have been like then when they are extinguished, demolishing Hecate. Not to make too much of a direct connection, but this is exactly how idolatry works, isn't it? Uh, this one uh, author, Jen Wilkin, made a helpful connection between the frogs and technology. She says that, that frogs, the frogs seemed manageable, right? So much so that they, they ended up saying, hey, let's have more of them. But, but so did technology, right? It seemed like it was fine. And then it becomes overwhelming. You know your nice little screen that, that started out for us just to be helpful and easy access? Now there's one in every room in your house and then some. Your pocket, your purse, and hidden rooms where no one can see what's happening on them. Right, just something that was seemed fine starts to become overwhelming. Now you've got frogs everywhere. So, so continue reading with me. Ch chapter 8, verse 8. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Whew, that sounds like a good plan. So Moses said to Pharaoh, Plea, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from your, you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, well, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs, and he agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. And, but when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. These heaps of dead frogs are a display that Yahweh is God, not Hecate. Once again, he demonstrates his authority, shows his power, and once again, Pharaoh's heart is hard. So plague number three, gnats. Verse 16, chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land. This is uh, like the stirring of dust. It's actually going to, it looks like gnats. It's going to be like gnats. And then it's, it's going to actually be gnats in the air, right? And, and uh, like gnats are just annoying, aren't they? Like they just, they, they, they get all over everywhere. They, they're not quite as bad as a mosquito, but they're really, really annoying, right? They just, they just hang around. But there was a false god named Geb, and Geb is considered the god of the earth. 
So this is a plague that is saying the God of the dust is no God at all. The one who says that they're ruler over the, even the dirt. So in verse 17, and they did so, Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians, they tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, which again seems absurd to me. But So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, listen to this. This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord said. Did you catch that? The magicians who have successfully accomplished, like they, they threw their staff down and it became a snake, remember? They've already done that one. They, they did the one where they made more frogs come. Don't really know how. Doesn't really matter. And they try to do this one, and they can't. And they are, they are acknowledging this must be a real God. Because we can't do that one. We can't make these really annoying bugs come out. And yet, even as the, the kind of the advisors of Pharaoh are saying, something's different, man. We can't do that. This is the finger of God. Pharaoh's heart is still hardened. So we go to plague four. We have flies. Now in this one, you'll see that Goshen is spared from the plagues from here on out. So, so again, verse 22, chapter 8. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there. That you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. So even the fact that flies aren't going to be there, are going to be specifically kind of uh, all everywhere else, but not there. That is, a, is telling all of the other people, hey, this, whoever their God is, is the one true God. Now, Kepri is considered the fly God, particularly the God of creation and birth. And, and so this, this is a, another display of this. Pharaoh says to, to Moses, he says, hey, I'm going to let you do, because Moses has been asking, right, let us leave here and make a sacrifice to, uh, we got to have a journey so that we can make the sacrifice. So Pharaoh says, make a sacrifice, but Moses says, well, we'll have to leave because the thing that we are going to sacrifice to our God, livestock in particular, is something that you worship. So this isn't going to go well if all of the Egyptians look in on Goshen and see that we're slaughtering the thing that you worship. Uh, I've, I've now been to, to both India and Nepal, and in both, in fact, this happens in other parts of the wor world as well, but that's a place where cows are worshipped, right? Where we, uh, we actually saw, like, a golden calf that people were actually bowing down to. So you know what they don't do there? They don't eat cow. Side note, don't try to order a hamburger. I may have made that mistake. It was, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't cow. Uh, but right, so, so it, would, it wouldn't make any sense for in, in India or Nepal for us to see cows being slaughtered. 
So it wouldn't make any sense there either. So Moses is saying to him, hey, this isn't going to work. You're, you're wanting us to, hey, we'll, we'll do part of it. But we actually need to leave. He's actually trying to be respectful. Which is why the very next plague is particularly thought of. Do not think that God does not think about all of these things. So plague number five is the death of livestock. All right, so we're into chapter nine now. Exodus chapter 9, verse 6, the next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. Now, interestingly, at least four different gods in the Egyptian pantheon are represented by a bull. So it's hard to, to label which god, which false god Yahweh is displaying his authority over. But I want you to, to note two things. One, that it was the Egyptian livestock that died and the Israelite livestock that did not. Okay? So this is intentional to see once again. There were no uh, gnats. There were no flies. There were no, uh, and, and no, no livestock has died in Israel. So this is a, a covering that's been there that, that the rest of Egypt will see that and know something's different. But the second thing I want you to know is that when it says all the livestock, we do need to see this at least uh, as hyperbole, okay? Um, in particular, because we're about to see another plague in which even livestock get boils. So we have to be real careful there. Right? If all the livestock are gone and then there's there, right? So, so we understand that uh, this is like this sweeping kind of phrase, all, every, none. You know how, how that works? So hyperbole in that sense. Sometimes we have a hard time understanding when all means all and when it is a hyperbolic statement. And in this case, it is a hyperbole. So... That leads us then to boils. So plague number six, boils. This one, interestingly enough, I did not know this, but the, the false goddess of medicine, her name was Isis. That, that name sounds familiar to us, right, for a very different reason. And I, I did not know, uh, certainly didn't know of the connection. But, but this is considered into the second cycle of three plagues, right? So you're going to have the, the first three plagues, then the, the second three, and now, now we're in uh, the, we're kind of moving into this second cycle. And as they go, they get more and more intense and more and more personal. So look at chapter 9, verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become like fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Mer Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. Right, the, the magicians who once before were, were even able to say, like, we, we can't do that thing. At this point, they're not even able to stand out there. They're not even able to, to go before him. We can't do that one. Like, they, they can't even attempt it. The, the intensity of this is getting much more even deeply personal. 
It only becomes more as they head into these final third of the, the nine plagues. What's, what's next after boils? Plague number seven is hail. Right, so again, this is the, the second of the third stage, or starting the third stage. We just finished the, the second. Of these, what I'm describing as this terrible labor pains, right? If you're thinking like the, we're still trying to get to the birth of the nation. We're still trying to get to delivery, and we're going through all of this. Exodus 9, chapter, or verse 18, Behold, about the time, this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. All right, this is, this is death-causing hail. So there's warning, Right? Get everybody inside because what's left outside is going to be extremely harmed. The, this is a destruction of what is the false god called Newt. Newt is called the sky god. But notice right before that as Moses is giving a warning to Pharaoh about not letting the people go, he reminds Pharaoh that God has a bigger plan. I want you to look at this. This is one of those that's worth circling, underlining. Chapter 9, verse 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Hey, I'm, I'm giving you a warning, right? I'm about to tell you that, that hail is coming and that, that it, get your people in, get your livestock in, but I need you to know that I've raised you up, Pharaoh. God is saying, I've raised you up to show my power over all your false gods, over you, over your people, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Do you catch that? That the reason God is doing this is to make his name known. We just sang every tongue, every voice to the Lamb, to the Lord, sing hallelujah. Like, that's what we're aiming for. We want every, and so we, we don't always get to choose how that comes about. In fact, Romans 9 quotes this passage. And Paul writes, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, right? This is the quote, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known Catch this, to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, 
which he prepared beforehand for glory. See, this is a, a question that continues to get asked today. It, it was asked when you study the book of Exodus. It's asked when you study the book of Romans. It's asked when you're just trying to understand why do all of these things happen? And, and what feels kind of like a cop-out answer of, uh, oh, it's for God's glory, this actually is the answer. Like, that things happen, that plagues take place, that God even brings them about for his glory. And we are that lump of clay looking back at the potter and saying, I was thinking more of a coffee mug. I was thinking you would use me more like that. I wanted to be, be used in a different way, God. And he says, who are you to talk back? You're the dirt. We are the mud here. We're the ones that are getting formed and fashioned to be used by God how he chooses for his glory so that all the earth will know who God is. Because we do. We want every tongue, every voice to sing hallelujah. We just sang that. You at least read it on the screen, right? So, so if we're going to believe what we sing, if we're going to believe what we say, then we're saying we, we want you to do whatever it takes. Notice that there were some who feared the word of the Lord enough. So in verse 20, chapter 9, verse 20, then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into his house. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So there were some in Egypt that were starting to get it, right? The, the, the magicians had already looked and said, okay, that's the finger of God. And now there's other Egyptians who are saying, you know what? We're, we're six plagues in, and it seems like every time the Lord says something's going to happen, it happens. So I'm just going to go ahead and bring my, even, even my slaves, I'm going to bring in my people, my servants, my livestock. We're, we're all sleeping inside tonight because I bet that hail's coming. Somebody starts to believe. I wonder if we fear the word of God like this if we actually take God at his word? Do you hear and see the commands of God written on a page and obey them? Because you believe that when God says something, he will do what he says. Okay, we gotta, we gotta go to plague number eight, locusts. This is the false god destruction of the false god of Seraphia, who was the one who particularly protected them from locusts. That was, that was her job. Chapter 10, verse 6, says, they, the, the locusts, they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have ever seen from the day they come on earth to this day. Pharaoh's servants surely have to be ready for this to be over because they come to him in verse 7 and say, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let them go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Pharaoh has been willing to let his nation be destroyed. You know, we think about each one of these things kind of as these singular acts. But can you imagine week after week after week of things being like both 
physically destroyed. Certainly, the, the people there are emotionally, mentally worn out. They're spent. And in addition to that, they are having all of their false gods totally, like, no longer trustworthy. I can't, I can't trust the God of the sky because hail just killed my cow. I can't, I can't trust this God because like livestock are dying. It's like every single thing that they have been putting their trust in is being taken away from them. And so they're looking to Pharaoh and saying, would you please just let them go? Like that's all they're asking. Who cares? We'll make our own bricks. Like it, that's, that's how bad it is at this point. And so now you get to plague number nine. It's darkness. I've been, I've been leading up to this for, for a while now. But remember who the chief god of the pantheon was? Ra. The god of the sun. Right? who is personified in Pharaoh. So Pharaoh is God of the sun. And darkness is supposed to come. And this is going to be a darkness that is felt. Look at chapter 10, verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. This is the opposite of the creation account, right? creation account starts with let there be light. And here, this is let there be darkness. See, it implies lawlessness and anarchy. Com complete a feeling of, of unable to control anything any longer. I, wa I want you to catch this. This is one of those pieces, though, that I, I had never heard about those uh, connections to uh, the the different false gods, which specifically they were. Uh, and then I caught this. I realized, I learned about this. So the, the Egyptians believed that Ra, the sun god, every night wrestled with the serpent of darkness. That was, that was uh, the, the task that the sun god had to do. And the way that you knew that the sun god won that he defeated the serpent of darkness every night, was that the next morning when dawn came and the, the sun rose, it proved his victory, right? So sun god, uh, uh, we think of this sometimes in like Greek mythology, some of those different things that, that took place, but this was, this was one of those in Egyptian uh, mythology. So, so the sun god wrestles every night with the serpent of darkness, and the next morning, you knew that the sun god won because the sun rises. So what happens when for three days, the sun does not rise? Which is what we see in Exodus. Well, darkness must have won. And the serpent of darkness must have defeated their god. Now, please, please tell me you see the connection as we fast forward to the New Testament. When the Son of God is on the cross and darkness covers the earth, the enemy may have thought that the serpent of darkness had won. But thanks be to God, 
through our Lord Jesus Christ who gives us the victory that on the third day, the sun rose again. The sun came back. This is not just the sun, S-U-N. This is the sun, S-O-N, right? He defeated hell and the grave and darkness forevermore. So, so this is a pointing to us. Moses didn't even know about that when he's writing this down, right? He's, he's telling us about something that's going to be coming, something that we now know has happened. Thus says the Lord. He couldn't have written this any better. And yet, yet even still, Pharaoh's dream was hard. Oh, like I'm just so sad for Pharaoh. His heart's just so hard. He's still, verse 27, he would not let them go. I wonder, I wonder if your heart's still hard today. If right, like if, if everything that's, that's happening around you is screaming and shouting, that you've been putting your hope and trust in the wrong thing. You've had family tell you, you've had friends tell you, you've had your life circumstances scream it at you, and you're still just saying, I'm gonna go my way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try my plan. I'm gonna give it my best shot. Maybe God's using his word today to soften your heart. That was certainly my prayer this morning, is that our hearts would be softened to hear the truth, and to respond to it. I need you to understand that sooner or later, the Lord will take out your idols too. Your false gods will fail you. So stop trusting them. You know, when you want the gifts of God more than you want God himself, that, that is as though you've created an idol for yourself. So before we get too judgmental about other people and their, their idols, Let's take a hard look at ourselves. You know, this past Wednesday night, uh, we had just a, a beautiful time, unexpected night of prayer and worship. And I feel like it was a blessing for us to get to, to seek God for seeking God. Not just to try to get something else, but just to, to, to know Him. And so I wanna ask, maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you need to fix your eyes on Christ, put out everything else, put aside all the other things. Maybe, maybe like a horse who puts on blinders so he only sees what's right ahead. Maybe, maybe look to Christ alone, seek him alone. With each one of these plagues, there was a, there was a way that it could be over. I wonder if you realize that there's an opportunity for you today to repent. 
turn away from your sin and yourself and your stuff and your ways and trust in Jesus. Our God is, is great. There is no other God. No other one who is offering salvation to you. No other one who died for your sin that you deserved to die. No one else who conquered the grave. So, would you trust in Jesus today? And if you are a child of his, would you confess your sin to him and give him the praise that he deserves? <laughs> Great are you, Lord, for saving me, for rescuing me, for conquering hell and the grave. May my life be a reflection, a reflection of your perfection. Would you stand with me as we respond?